Welcome into Survivor Analytics, the show that aims to find the perfect Survivor strategy. I am your host, Clyde, and with the end of every Survivor season, I typically go back and rank every contestant on the cast. This is the fourth season that I'm covering. Thus far, I have ranked the players on Survivor Samoa, Survivor 44, and Survivor China. Today, we will focus on Survivor 45. The same rules apply to every ranking. I look at every core aspect of the game, those being the physical, social, and strategic. I consider placement in my rankings, but it is not the end-all be-all factor. Overall, looking at this cast, I think it's most fair for me to compare it to Survivor 44 as they're both new era seasons. I will say that the top end of 45 is better than that of 44, but at large this cast lacks depth to me. This bottom tier of contestants, I especially have very little confidence in making a deep run on literally any season. So with all that out of the way, we can hop into the number 18 spot where, of course, I have Hannah Rose. There's not that much to say about Hannah. She quits episode 1 just two days into her survivor journey. I can understand the argument that Hannah was in a solid position within the Lulu tribe. In fact, when they originally attended that first tribal council, Hannah was safe. Emily was the contestant that was supposed to go home in that spot as the votes were already in place against her. It's important to note, though, that Hannah did very little to push the target onto Emily. Emily is targeted at the beginning of the season due to her chaotic gameplay. Hannah's quit, and quitting in general is just a complete deal-breaker for me. I don't know if there's another contestant in the history of Survivor that quits literally episode 1, so Hannah locked into number 18. Then, onto the number 17 spot, we have our second quitter of the season. It's Sean Edwards. Sean is here at the bottom of the list for the same reason as Hannah. He quit the game, right? Unlike Hannah, Sean does demonstrate some baseline social and strategic capabilities. In the early days of Lulu, Sean solidifies himself as a core member of the majority group, consisting of himself, Sabaya, and Caleb. Within that alliance, Sean has a number one ally in Sabaya. That partnership mismanages their power in the early game. I completely disagree with their decision to target Caleb in the pre-merge. Sabaya is the contestant that leads that plan, but Sean still goes along with it. Caleb was that tribe's best physical asset, and they tried to vote him out after losing three consecutive immunities. Last positive with Sean is that he's an adaptable social player. When the tribe swap hits and Sean flips over to the Reba tribe, he's able to position himself well and form an alliance with Jemaya. When that tribe attends tribal council, Sean is not the target despite being the only outsider. If not for the quit, Sifu goes home in that round, but the quit itself is enough for me to dock Sean all the way down here to the number 17 place. Jumping now to the number 16 spot on my list, I have Brandon Donlin. Going into season 45, I loved Brandon. I claim that he was one of the contenders of the season because he has so much survivor knowledge. At the end of the day, though, Brandon's legacy is cemented in that first episode where he struggles to climb up the ladder. That segment is symbolic of Brandon's survivor run. He is a horrible challenge performer to the point where I question his ability to survive literally any pre-merge. In general, a Brandon winning game requires a dominant starting tribe, one that can hide his physical drawbacks. Brandon makes up partially for his horrible physical play with some solid social maneuvering. He forms solid relationships with members of the Lulu tribe like Hannah and Caleb. Even without the Hannah quit in episode 1, Brandon was in a position to survive that first Lulu tribal council. He drops the ball in the first reward challenge and first immunity challenge, but players like him enough to at least let him survive that first tribal. Last major drawback with Brandon is his difficulty navigating into a majority alliance. Brandon recognizes that he's outside the core Lulu alliance, but he fails to weasel his way in. 
He finds a beware advantage with Sabaya in hopes of building trust with her, but it doesn't work. They vote him out at the earliest opportunity. Overall, Brandon seems like a likable guy, but he comes in here at number 16. He is the third consecutive Lulu player on this list. We can break the Lulu trend here at the number 15 spot where I have Sifu. Sifu never finds his strategic footing in this game. From day one, he's perceived as an overly aggressive strategic player when he gets caught looking for idols. And from that point forward, he's on the outside of the Reba tribe. In fact, Sifu is the original target at the first Reba tribal council during the tribe swap, which is a really bad look for him. Keep in mind that Sifu attends that tribal council in a group of five where there are four original Reba members and Sean on the outside. Theoretically, that should be an easy vote against Sean, but Sifu is so isolated from the other Reba members that they would rather vote him out and take a gamble on this new player that they just met. He's essentially saved in that tribal council when Sean quits the game. I will give Sifu some credit in that round as he learns that Sean did not vote against him in that quit. This alerts Sifu of the fact that someone in his alliance is gunning for him, but he never figures out who voted against him. The next time that Sifu is vulnerable at a tribal council, he gets voted out. This happens at the final 12 during the tribe swap. Sifu attends that tribal in a group of six where there are three Bellow members, two Reba and Emily. You could make the argument that Sifu was swap screwed here. After all, the Bellows had the majority and they would decide who goes home. But Sifu technically had the advantage of being the bottom feeder of Reba. From the Bellow contestant's perspective, it would have been way more advantageous to vote out Drew, who also attended that tribal and was an integral member of the core Reba alliance. Overall, Sifu seems like a solid physical competitor, somebody that definitely contributed to the success of that Reba tribe in the early game. However, he struggles socially, he never forms a solid alliance, and he's voted out at the earliest opportunity. Then we get to the number 14 spot where we have our second consecutive Reba contested. We have Jay Maya. Like Sifu, Jay Maya is on the outside of the original Reba power structure where she has little strategic agency. Jay Maya differs from Sifu in that she's oblivious to her own positioning within the game. Up until her elimination, Jay Maya seems completely willing to work with those Reba members for the long run, despite none of them really trusting her. Now, I will say Jay has some solid strategic acumen. When Sean swaps over to her tribe during the swap, she forms an alliance with him and she's able to convince the other Reba players to vote out Sifu at that upcoming tribal council over Sean. Outside that move, Jay strategically stumbles her way through the season. When she attends the journey with Austin and Kelly, they're given the opportunity to take those amulets that are dependent on each other. She votes to gamble on that amulet despite never developing a working relationship with either of the other two contestants. That decision only incentivizes those two players to vote her out at the earliest opportunity. Jay ends up getting voted out at the final 13 after Caleb's successful shot in the dark play. You could make the argument that she was voted out due to circumstances outside her own control because that shot in the dark only has a 1 out of 6 chance of hitting. But at the same time, that vote really signifies her positioning within the game. No one on that Reba tribe really trusted Jay despite her serving as a loyal ally. So Jay locked into number 14. Then here at the number 13 spot, we have the first contestant to actually reach the merge on this season. It's the returnee from Survivor 44, it's Bruce Peralt. When you talk about Bruce holistically as a player, it all goes back to his social game. 
other contestants on this cast disliked Bruce so much on a personal level to the point where they all collectively agreed to target him. From literally episode 1, Bruce acts as a paternal figure on the Bellow tribe, which upsets the other players and magnifies his threat level. Postseason interviews have revealed that if Bellow attended a pre-merged tribal council, Bruce likely would have been voted out. Throughout the rest of the season, players constantly hop in confessional and complain about Bruce's stubborn strategic play. This leads to his own allies flipping against him, which is not really in their best interest. While Bruce struggles greatly in the social side of Survivor, he is a solid physical performer. He wins the immunity challenge at the final 10 and the final 9 in positions where if he did not win those challenges, he probably gets voted out. Bruce also proves that he is capable of leading a vote, which he does at the final 13. In that round, Bruce takes the charge in the vote against Caleb, which, in my opinion, is a bad strategic read given that Caleb was a potential ally for those Bellow members. But nonetheless, Bruce gathers the numbers, and Caleb would have been voted out there if not for a successful shot in the dark play. From a strategic perspective, Bruce makes mistake after mistake in the post-merge of this season. Right at the mergatory, he finds an immunity idol which he elects to share with some other contestants, one of them being Caleb. I'm not a fan of sharing idols in general, but if you're going to do it, you need to lock down that alliance, and Bruce decides to target Caleb in that exact same episode. If Bruce knew that he wanted Caleb out of the game, why would he share that information with him? Later on at the final 10, Bruce is tricked into voting against Jake when in reality Kelly is the target of the vote. At the final 9, Bruce willingly votes out Kendra, further solidifying the power structure of the Reba majority. Then, of course, at the final 8, Bruce has an immunity idol, he's vulnerable at the tribal council, and he knows that everybody else in the game perceives him as a threat. There are so many clear signs that Bruce is the target of the vote, but he genuinely thinks that Emily has the numbers in place to save him, he doesn't play the idol, and he gets voted out there. Overall, Bruce is a wildly entertaining figure on Survivor. I think he provides some well-needed tension amidst these new era casts, but I'm not confident in Bruce's ability to navigate his way to a final tribal council, and even if he were to make it to that point, I don't think he has the social capacity to get the jury votes he would need to win. Next up at the number 12 spot, we have the contestant that was voted out in the round right before Bruce. It's Kendra McQueer. Kendra's in a strong position in the early game. She's a member of that Virgo Girlies Alliance, which had the numbers in place to vote out Bruce if Bello attended a tribal council. The tribe swap is definitely a negative against Kendra's overall resume. In that round, Kendra is moved into a group with two Bello, two Reba, and Emily in the middle. Emily is in the power seat here, and Kendra met Emily earlier in the season through an unaired twist. Despite their pre-established relationship, Emily still sides with the Reba members and votes out Brando. Now you can give Kendra credit for not being the target of that vote, but it's still not a great look that Kendra was unable to pull Emily onto her side. Later on at the final 10, Kendra makes the same mistake as the other Bellow members in attempting to vote out Jake, which, if she was successful, would have just kept the Reba players in the majority. Honestly, the biggest positive in Kendra's game comes in her elimination episode. Following the Kelly boot, Kendra correctly identifies the Reba players as the group running the game. She attempts to flip the vote on D, the central strategic figure of that alliance, and as a result, Reba votes her out. Overall, even though Kendra places at number 12 here, I still think she's a solid player. Now we can look to the number 11 spot where I have Sabaya Broderick. 
Sabaya proves that she could position herself within a dominant majority alliance in the early game. She's a member of the Core Lulu power structure alongside Caleb and Sean. In that position, other players genuinely want to align with Sabaya. We see this when Brandon gives her a beware advantage. I will fault Sabaya for her overly aggressive strategic play. After losing three straight immunity challenges, Lulu is prepared to go to a tribal council where you have Sabaya's core alliance with Emily on the outside. In that position, Emily should be the obvious vote, but Sabaya is determined to flip the vote on Caleb. She claims that Caleb is a major threat in the game, and while that is true, it's only the third vote of the season. Caleb was an essential member of that Lulu tribe. They needed him to win challenges, even though they had been struggling up until that point. In order to make that vote happen, Sabaya needed to rope Emily into that plan, which was just a difficult task. The two of them had been on opposite sides literally the entire game. All of this is exacerbated by the fact that Sabaya does not have her vote at that tribal council because of the beware advantage. Long story short, there's a lot of extraneous factors at play, and Sabaya would have been better off just making the easy vote against Emily. She ends up going home in a weird tribal council where she acquires the beware advantage, then elects to sacrifice her vote. So we don't really know what would happen if that tribal council ended in a 2-2 tie with two votes on Sabaya and two on Caleb. While I respect Sabaya's ability to set herself up in a dominant position in the early game, I think she abuses her power, which lands her here at number 11. Then on to number 10, we have the final contestant voted out in the pre-merge. It's Brando Meyer. I think that out of every contestant on this cast, Brando was most screwed over by circumstances outside his own control. He starts the game on the Bellow tribe, where him and Kelly are positioned in the middle. Had that tribe attended a tribal council, Brando and Kelly would have been in the power seat. The tribe swap puts Brando in a difficult spot. It's a 2-2-1 split. As mentioned earlier, Emily held all of the cards in that tribal council. Brando's ally, Kendra, had a previous relationship with Emily, so in my opinion, the responsibility of pulling Emily onto the Bellow member's side falls to Kendra in that situation. Not only does Kendra let down Brando, but the opposing pair holds multiple advantages which they use to lure Emily onto their side. I don't know if there was much that Brando could have done to escape that tribal council just given the circumstances. Even in his boot, I think he makes some interesting strategic moves. He offers his shot in the dark to Drew in order to push the target onto Kendra over himself. So I think he's an outside-the-box strategic thinker, deserving of being the best pre-merge boot. He lands here at number 10. We're past the midpoint of the rankings, and now we have one of my favorite players on the cast. This is somebody that I would love to see come back on a returning player season. It's actually my preseason winner pick. It's Jake O'Kane. Some people might be surprised that I have Jake ranked this low considering he ends up in third place. But as I've said throughout my entire time here on Survivor Analytics, player placement does not indicate player quality. When you look at Jake's game at large, he has some solid strategic reads, but he never has the agency to actually make anything happen. In the early game, Jake is on the outside of the original Bellow tribe alongside Bruce. Granted, it's been reported in the postseason that Bruce would have been the first person voted out of Bellow, but Jake was probably second up. Later on in the season, we see some of Jake's wildly and unnecessarily aggressive strategic ideas. 
At the split tribal council, Jake concocts a plan to force a 3-3 tie to potentially save Caleb. Now, I like the thought process behind this move. I believe Caleb would have been a valuable number for that Bellow alliance. But Jake's entire theory behind this plan is dependent on Austin flipping on the revote. We never actually hear Austin's perspective on this, but I question if he would have flipped and sacrificed Julie like that. After failing to save Caleb, Jake is positioned on the bottom for the remainder of the season. At the final 10, he receives votes from his fellow Bellow members, which was completely against their best interest. Bellow needed to stick together at that point against the Koriba Alliance, but they would rather target Jake. I think that speaks to Jake's general positioning within the game. At the final 9, Jake is the original target until D pushes it onto Kendra. At the final 8, Jake is the backup vote in the Bruce elimination, and for all intents and purposes, Jake should have been eliminated in that round, but Bruce completely misreads the situation and fails to play his immunity idol. Then we get to the final 6 where Jake seems to have a solid outlook on the game. He correctly recognizes that for himself and Katura to distinguish themselves in the eyes of the jury, they need to leave some of the Reba players out of their plans. Yet, Katura continues to leak those plans to D anyway. Then at the final five, Jake plays his idol correctly on Katura, who was the original target from the Reba players, and he votes against D. He holds up his end of the bargain in that round. Jake is essentially screwed over by Katura getting paranoid at the last second and voting against Julie. Many people criticize Jake's decision at the final five to show his immunity idol, but hearing his post-game interview, it sounds like it was the right move. In Jake's mind, by making the idol public, he knew the target would shift to Katura. That read was correct until Tribal Council when Austin decides to flip his vote over to Julie at the last second. Long story short, if everybody goes into that tribal and acts as they originally intended to beforehand, Katura gets saved with the idol and they vote out D. As a result, Jake would have had a major stamp on his resume and a potential winning argument if Julie doesn't make it to the end. By the time Jake reaches the final tribal council, his resume is simply too barren to warrant a single jury vote, even after winning forced firemaking. Due to his overall lack of strategic agency throughout the game, Jake lands here at number 9. I think there is a decent chance that he comes back in a future season, so I'll be interested to reevaluate him at that point. So we just covered the winner of the Final Four Firemaking Challenge at Final 9. Let's cover the loser now. So at the number 8 spot, I have Katura Tops. Katura's game is really defined by her outlook on the Bellow tribe. She correctly identifies that she was never a part of the core power structure of that group, but her response to that information is what I have problems with. Katura does not attend a tribal council the entire pre-merge, so she never gets any concrete information on her positioning within the game. Once the merge hits though, Katura identifies the Bellow tribe as this dysfunctional group, which is true, and she decides to flip over to the Reba Alliance. I have no issue with Katura flipping. My real problem with her game is that she does not want to disband Reba from the inside. She plans to work with that group for as long as possible and just wait for them to turn on each other. In enacting this plan, Katura knocks out multiple Bellow members that she could have worked with. She votes out Kendra at the final nine, and to a lesser extent Bruce at the final eight. There's two big problems with this general philosophy of aligning with the majority and accepting your position on the bottom. First, it's a somewhat passive form of gameplay. 
such that whenever Reba does elect to flip on each other, the jury will likely credit those Reba members for the flip over Katura herself. Second, I think Katura misreads the flip itself. In this position, Katura is responsible for gathering information from the Reba tribe and identifying its weakest links. Those weak links are the players that Katura should intend to take to the end. She eventually lands on Austin, as it seems that's where her game was going, but I think Austin would have beaten her in a final tribal council. Looking back, the player that Katura was probably best off taking to the end was Drew, who burned multiple bridges throughout the season. When we're on the topic of Katura, we need to discuss her paranoid strategic play. It's the most discussed move of the entire season, her vote at the final five. In that round, she correctly identifies Austin and Dee as a major threat, whereby both players would take each other to the end if they reach the final four, and they are the two best physical performers. Katura even convinces Jake that eliminating D in that round was the optimal strategic move. Yet, at Tribal Council, Katura gets paranoid and flips her vote to Julie at the last second, which drastically narrows her path to the end. While the edit really hypes up Katura at the final four, I think she was in a losing spot regardless at that point. She didn't have a winning final tribal combination. So overall, I respect Katura's ability to latch onto a group and make a deep run that late in the season, but I don't find her path to that point all that impressive. Jumping to the number seven spot, we have the contestant that compared himself to Kawhi Leonard. It's the Canadian. It's Caleb Geberwald. Caleb plays a dominant pre-merge game. He's a member of the initial Lulu power structure with Sean and Sabaya while maintaining strong relationships with those contestants on the bottom like Emily. Those broad relationships pay major dividends for Caleb. When Sabaya and Sean attempt to flip the vote on him in the pre-merge, Emily leaks that plan to Caleb, which enables them to work together and save him. Caleb also proves that he's an adaptable social player when he swaps over to the new Lulu tribe, which features himself and four former Bellow members. Caleb is able to develop relationships with multiple contestants there. He's in a position such that if that Lulu tribe attended a tribal council, Bruce probably gets voted out over him. Now, Caleb does get targeted at the final 13, but I don't think it's necessarily for actions on his part. Bruce heads that Caleb vote because he's talking to both sides at the merge, but it seems like most other contestants are understanding of that dynamic game. I think if you put Caleb on a different cast without an old-school player like Bruce, he's able to survive those early merge rounds. It seems like players are threatened by Caleb for the simple reason that he's Caleb. He's athletic, he's charming, and he was a part of that Lulu tribe which was decimated in the pre-merge, so voting him out won't burn any bridges. Even when he gets targeted at the final 13, he has an ally in Emily there that's able to leak that information to him, which causes him to play the shot in the dark. When that shot hit, yes, it preserved Caleb for another round, but it skyrocketed his threat level. It was an incredibly flashy move. I said it on our podcast, but I knew in that moment that Caleb was not going to win the season. No one would want to take him to the end after that. My main fault with Caleb as a player is his handling of his elimination round. In the split tribal, Caleb and Jake are trying to force that 3-3 tie, and Caleb comes up with the idea of telling Katura about Bruce's idol right before the vote. While I understand that Caleb was trying to earn Katura's trust before the Reba players could destroy it, I also think this was just an unnecessary move. It made Katura feel like she was on the outside of that alliance, which inspires her to flip over to the Reba group. 
So overall, I enjoyed watching Caleb on this season. He was a great mayor of Ponderosa and somebody that I think could have a decent amount of winning potential on a return. Moving over to the number six spot, we have the highest rated Bellow contestant on this list. It's Kelly. Kelly arguably has the strongest pre-emerge out of any contestant on this cast. She's positioned in the power seat in the early days of Bello, where she plays the middle alongside Brando. At the tribe swap, Kelly is once again in the middle, now between the pairs of Katura and Caleb on one side and Jake and Bruce on the other. Kelly's only real mistake in the pre-merge is taking the amulets along with Jay Maya and Austin, which I think incentivizes them to target her later on at the final 10. Kelly's most impressive move of the entire season comes at the split tribal council where she single-handedly keeps that Bellow group together. In that round, Kendra is considering flipping the vote against Bruce, which would have given Reba the immediate numbers advantage at the merge. Kelly is the one that directs the vote towards a Reba contestant, and while I think she picks the wrong one in voting out Sifu over Drew, the core idea was there nonetheless. When talking about Kelly as a player, I think it's important to note that she has some very unlucky breaks on this season. She loses her ally Brando in the original tribe swap, then at the mergatory everyone collectively agrees to target her new ally in Caleb. Kelly goes along with that vote only because she knows the numbers were already in place against him. Then at the final 10, the round that Kelly goes home, she is not the original target. Players wanted to vote out Bruce there, but he wins individual immunity. If literally anyone else wins immunity in that round, Kelly survives. With all that said, Kelly misreads the game at the final 10. She fails to recognize the Reba 4 as a legitimate group, and in her elimination, she casts a vote against Jake. What this means is that even if Kelly survived and got her way, she would have forfeited the numbers to the Reba players. I actually almost placed Kelly at the number 5 spot, but given the fact that she places 10th, there are other contestants that just prove more over the course of the season. Now on to number 5, we have the contestant with the best redemption arc of the new era, it's Emily Flippin, the financial analyst. Emily is the most difficult player to assess on this entire cast. Her social play is so horrible in that first episode, to the point where she was set up to be voted out at the first Lulu Tribal Council. She is essentially saved by Hannah quitting the game. That near elimination is a major dock against Emily overall, but I still have her ranked this high. On season 45, Emily proves that she can function from a bottom position. In the second Lulu Tribal Council, Emily is able to convince the group in power to eliminate Brandon over herself by offering up her shot in the dark as a sign of trust. Then at the third Lulu Tribal, Emily is in a position of power where she can either side with the pairing of Sean and Sabaya or Caleb. Emily's entire stint on Lulu is a positive in my eyes. She proves that when things don't go her way and she's positioned on the bottom of a group, she's able to gain agency in the game. Later on at the tribe swap, Emily is moved into a very fortunate position where she's in the middle of two Reba and two Bello members. Emily ultimately decides to work with the Reba players, and I think it's the right read. Looking back, Emily's closest ally in Caleb is swapped into a tribe of all Bellow contestants. In an ideal world, Emily and Caleb would enter the merge with connections to both groups in power. Granted, this doesn't happen as Caleb gets immediately targeted at the merge, but I still see the vision here. When Emily reaches the merge, she demonstrates a unique ability to subtly build relationships with people on the bottom. At the final 13, she warns Caleb that he's the target, which causes him to play his shot in the dark. 
between the final 10 and the final eight, Emily is a member of the Reba majority that runs the direction of voting while staying connected to those bottom feeders, one of which being Bruce, which enables Emily to deceive him at the final eight. While Emily's decision in that round to convince Bruce to not play his idol is a flashy mark on her resume, I think it damages her long-term winning potential. Following that tribal council, Emily returns to camp and takes all the credit for that maneuver, which skyrockets her threat level and leads to her elimination at the final seven. The final seven reveals some integral flaws in Emily's game. Up until that point, Emily had passed up multiple opportunities to flip against the Reba Alliance. She elects to stay with that group in hopes that when the time comes, Austin and Drew will side with her over the other two Reba players. The final seven vote proves that Emily's general philosophy was just incorrect. She never fully integrated within that majority. While Emily goes home through a Julie Idol play, it's important to note that the Reba members, including Austin and Drew, were aware of that risk. Postseason, players like Austin and Drew have said that they knew Julie was voting against Emily. In their mind, a big threat would go home regardless. Either Julie would go home on the vote or Emily would go home through the idol play. Long story short, they were willing to send Emily home indirectly by not splitting that vote. Of course, Emily deserves some fault there as well for not splitting it in that round. Overall, when you look at Emily's game, it's one of resilience. She overcomes easily the worst tribe of the new era, but she's an overly loyal ally to a collection of players where she never fully found an in. Had Emily recognized her position within that group, she had the connections to potentially flip against them. Overall, I think Emily is a solid player. I would like to see her come back on a future season, hopefully one where she has some more connections going into the post-merge. Now that we're at the number four spot, we are down to the core group that runs the direction of votes for the season. It's three before. The question now is where do I rank each of these players? And for me, at number four, I have Julie. Julie is an interesting player to assess in that she is someone that did not have a lot of strategic agency within that core alliance, yet she still presented a high threat level. Typically, those two things don't go hand in hand, and it's a brutal combination for her game. I don't know if there's one vote on this season where Julie gathers the numbers onto another player. Yes, she has the Emily boot at the final seven, but that's more a result of an idle play rather than some social ability. So let's walk through Julie's game at large. As mentioned, she's a part of that Reba alliance in the pre-merge. At the tribe swap, she's in a position of power alongside D where they agreed to vote out Sifu, who would have went home if not for the Sean quit. There again, though, I think a Sifu elimination is more beneficial to D's game as the two of them never had a working relationship. At the split tribal council, Julie participates in the Caleb vote, but she's not the one actively directing it. It's important to note that in that round, the players on the bottom attempt to flip the vote onto Julie, who should have been the least of their worries amidst those Reba players. Then we get to the post-merge, where Julie is included in the consensus plan to eliminate the Bellow players from the final 10 through the final 8. At the final 7, Julie's threat level peaks, which causes the other contestants to gather the numbers against her. Julie is saved in that round through her relationship with D, which, granted, does play to Julie's social game. I also find it impressive that following the final 7 vote where Julie saves herself with an idol, she's able to reintegrate into the majority alliance and avoid the target at the final six where Drew goes home. That vote was ideal for Julie, as Drew had proven that he no longer trusted her. 
Another positive for Julie is her actual elimination, which has a ton of asterisks around it. Julie goes home in the wacky Final Five Tribal Council, where going into that tribal, the only players that had set votes against them were Katura and D. Julie gets voted out with two votes against her, but those two votes flipped onto Julie at the last second. In other words, Katura and Austin walk into that tribal without the original intention of voting against Julie. I will say, though, that if Julie survives that round, which almost happened, I still think she has a difficult path to the end, especially if D goes home at the final five. Julie's route to the final tribal council involves either winning the final immunity challenge or winning forced firemaking. I will note that Julie had some solid win equity, and there is a legitimate argument that Julie beats any other contestant in the game except D. The real question with Julie is, would she be willing to cut D? And I don't know if she had that killer instinct. So overall, while I have Julie ranked last out of the core Reba alliance, I still think she's a good player. She understands how to navigate into a majority and build solid relationships with players that want to take her deep into the game, but she mismanages her threat level, and I think she lacks that killer instinct that the other three Reba players demonstrate. Looking at the number three spot, we have a contestant that I think you could make the argument that you should flip with Julie at number four. In other words, this player and Julie were in contention for the third spot, but I landed on the contestant with all of the literary analogies. It's Drew. Like Julie, Drew was a member of the original power structure of the Reba tribe that dominates the rest of the season. In the early game, Drew is presented as this stronger social player, which we don't really see in the latter half. For example, when Caleb attends the Reba camp, he gifts the goodwill advantage to Drew. One underrated move from Drew in the early season is his decision to share the safety without power advantage with Austin. In my opinion, that's a pretty low-tier advantage, but it earns Austin's trust, and in response, Austin shares intel on his beware advantage. Drew's first misstep happens at the tribe swap, where he unnecessarily rejects Brando's offer to align, and as a result, the Bellow players target him in that round. Drew is largely saved by the fact that Austin is able to connect with Emily and bring her over to their side by presenting the amulet. Drew follows that up with a solid move at the split tribal council where he's positioned in the minority. In that tribal, the Bellow players have the numbers advantage and they can take out either Drew or Sifu from the original Reba tribe. Drew is able to convince them to vote out Sifu, which is impressive when you consider the fact that Sifu was on the bottom of Reba. It would have been advantageous for Bello to knock out a central strategic figure like Drew in that spot. Moving ahead to the final 10, Drew has his best move of the season where he leads the Kelly vote, thereby giving the Reba members the 5-4 numbers advantage. That one move enables them to run the game for the next two rounds, voting out Kendra and Bruce. The final 7 marks the point in the season where Drew's game goes off the rails, but looking back, I feel that many of his struggles are more so faults of Austin than mistakes directly conducted by Drew. At the final seven, Drew had the numbers in place to vote out Julie. This plan is foiled by the fact that Austin shares an idol with Julie and leaks the plan to D, which causes it to trickle back to Julie. Had this tribal council went according to Drew's plan, him and Austin are in the power seat going into the final six. The final six is another low point on Drew's resume. Drew believes Dee's lie that she never leaked the final seven plan to Julie, 
But what's even worse is the fact that he wants to go to the end with Austin and D. First, I think this shows a lack of killer instinct. Drew seems open to taking the easier path to the final tribal when there were two clearly easier beats in the game in Jake and Katura. Second, I doubt that Drew actually wins in that combination. There are hints throughout the season that Drew was not the best social player, so I think out of that three, he gets the fewest jury votes. Overall, Drew plays a great strategic game of Survivor up until the final seven. Unfortunately, those blunders in the last two rounds combined with his outlook on the final tribal land him here at the number three spot. We have now reached the final two, and of course it's the showmance, it's Austin and D. When I made my rankings for Survivor 44, I had an entire spiel on this decision of who would get the number one spot. In that season, it was a big choice between Jam Jam and Carson. The two of them were neck and neck, but I don't think the race here is as close. To me, it's pretty clear coming in at the number two spot, we have Austin. Now, I think some people have been a bit overcritical of Austin in the postseason, portraying him as this love-struck jock that followed D throughout the season. And while I think Austin made some mistakes in the late round of the game, I believe that he plays a dominant game up until the final seven. Keep in mind that he goes the entire season as one of the best physical performers in the game, yet he does not receive a single vote cast against him. In the pre-merge, he's well insulated within the Reba Alliance, where he has the partnership with Drew, as well as the connection with D. In those early rounds, he acquires an immunity idol, which he reluctantly shares with the other Reba players, but that move does solidify their alliance. At the tribe swap, he's in that 2-2-1 split, where Austin is arguably most responsible for influencing Emily and convincing her to flip and work with the Reba contestants in the elimination of Brando. When the merge hits and the Reba players start picking off the Bellow contestants, Austin is in a really solid spot. On one side, he has the connection of Drew and Emily, and on the other, he has the connection with Dee and Julie. In a way, he serves as the glue for that alliance in the early post-merge. His game is really solid up until the final seven, where it falls apart completely. He makes the mistake of leaking the Julie plan to Dee, who shares it back to Julie herself. Emily goes home in that round, and Austin innately becomes more dependent on D as a result. It is important to say, though, that if Austin was able to pull off that vote and Julie goes home at the final seven, he is in a very strong position moving forward. From there, he could play the middle of D on one side and Emily and Drew on the other. That's not what happens, though, and to be honest, it's really his fault, especially when you consider the fact that he was the person that gave Julie the idol to begin with. Austin's mistakes continue into the final six where he believes Dee's lie that she never leaked the plan to Julie. At that point in the season, it seems like Austin is determined to go to the end of the game still with Drew and Dee, where I think he would have lost. Then at the final six, he's excluded from the consensus plan to eliminate Drew, and going into the final five, I was hoping that Austin would then perceive D as a massive threat. That's not the case, though, and Austin continues to prove his loyalty to D when the two of them go searching for an advantage together. We then get the final five vote where Austin votes out Julie. I go back and forth on that move. On one hand, by voting out Julie, Austin increases his chances of actually making it to the final tribal. We see that later when D wins final immunity and takes him. 
but on the other hand, it reduces his chances of winning because if D does make it to the end of the game, she defeats him. Austin states postseason that he intended to take out D at the Final Four, but I question it. If his intention at that point in the season was to go to the Final Tribal with Jake and Katura, then it makes way more sense to vote out D at Final Five. He would have no issue taking Julie to Final Four, who was far less likely to win the Immunity Challenge, and she was a player that he could likely defeat in firemaking. When D takes Austin to the final tribal council, I thought he had a chance of getting maybe one jury vote at max. After all, he played a pretty sloppy strategic game between the final seven and the final five. He proved me wrong though, Austin has a phenomenal final tribal council performance, one that earns him three out of eight jury votes. This was against D, who outwitted him on multiple occasions. That final tribal council performance gives me a lot more confidence in Austin as a player. I think there's a chance he beats any other Reba member in a final tribal other than D. Overall, Austin's combination of early game success and late game missteps land him here at the number two spot. Then we get to the number one spot, the best player on the cast of season 45, and it's the winner of the season, it's D. I'm admittedly very high on D as a player. I made a TikTok just this past week where I've already put her in my top 20 players of all time. I think she excels in every core aspect of the game. There was a point in this season where I thought D's winning game was on route to being a top 5 performance in the history of the show. She really dominates the direction of voting all the way up until the final 5, and those last two rounds are what drop her game from a top 5 win to probably a top 15 one. So where exactly does all this start? Dee's a member of the Reba Alliance. She's a part of that core group with Austin, Drew, and Julie. It's important to note that this group comes together when Dee correctly identifies the pairing of Austin and Drew. Without Dee's instincts, there's a chance that this core four never forms. When Dee swaps onto the new Reba tribe, she is in the power seat at her first tribal council. Dee has the numbers in place to vote out Sifu, who blatantly distrusted her. She has a wrench thrown into her game when Sean quits, and she's forced to keep Sifu around. In that Sean quit, D votes against Sifu, and I see some people faulting her for that vote. I don't fault her too much just because of the logistics surrounding that quit. Even after that blunder, though, D is able to push the blame for that vote onto J. Maya. At the Split Tribal Council, D wins individual immunity and leads the vote against Caleb. In that round, D recognizes that Austin wants to keep Caleb in the game as a shield, but she overrules him and pulls the numbers against Caleb. The final 10 is not the best for D. While the Reba players knock out Kelly and gain the numbers advantage, it has been reported postseason that Kelly and D had a working relationship. Out of the five Bellow contestants, Kelly was probably the worst one for D to eliminate, but it doesn't have a major impact on her game. At the final 9, D is the lead person in the Kendra elimination after Kendra attempts to flip the vote on D herself. At the final 8, D is included in the Bruce elimination. Then she has her best move of the season at the final 7. By that point in the post-merge, D had built a relationship with Austin such that he was willing to tell her about the Julie plan. D then reports that plan to Julie, instructs her to play the idol, and instructs her to vote against Emily. D also admits that she plans to vote with the majority against Julie in order to stay face with them, and that ends up working perfectly for her. While there's a lot of moving parts in this move, 
The most impressive aspect of it to me is the fact that Julie was close enough with D to the point where she elects to follow D's plan and vote out Emily over Austin. Julie had all of the power in that tribal council. Her vote would solely decide who goes home. She had a major opportunity to weaken D by voting out her other number one, but she passes it up because of their relationship. Then at the final six, D is a key strategic figure in the Drew elimination. This positions D at the final five with Austin and Julie, two players that were tightly aligned with D and unlikely to work with each other. As mentioned earlier, these last two rounds are what really hurt D's overall winning game. D seems reluctant to flip against either Julie or Austin, despite there being two easier beats left in Katura and Jake. She also narrowly survives the Final Five Tribal Council, where she would've went home if Katura just doesn't get paranoid. Then at the Final Four, D has a massive target on her back. Her threat level is so high to the point where I think she gets sent into fire making if literally anyone else wins the final immunity challenge. Luckily, she wins that last challenge, and I like her decision to take Austin to the end to prevent him from building his resume in firemaking. Last thing to mention with Dee is her final Tribal Council performance, which is definitely suboptimal. She unnecessarily pokes at Bruce, effectively burning that jury vote. Going into that Tribal, I think Dee had a realistic chance at earning 7 or 8 jury votes, but she only gets 5. She narrowly defeats Austin, who she completely outclassed in the endgame. With all that said, she is still by far and away the best player of Survivor 45, and in my opinion, the best player of the new era. Thank you so much for listening to this ranking of the cast of Survivor 45, as well as all of our coverage for this season. Jack and I will be back at the end of February, start of March, for our coverage of Survivor 46. We have a two-month break right now, which is just not enough time for us to cover an entire season. So in that meantime, we will probably do just a couple podcasts, maybe one where Jack can share his thoughts on the season at large, and maybe one where we run like a Q&A or something. So more things to come. Thanks again for listening.